This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is sponsored by Allbirds. I've been an Allbirds customer for years because their shoes look great, they're super comfortable, and they make shoes and clothes that are better for you and better for the planet by using revolutionary premium natural materials. As a runner, I'm also looking for a shoe that feels and fits great out on a run. And so I'm pumped to tell you about the Allbirds Tree Flyer. I have a pair and they are great. The Tree Flyer is lightweight, super springy and wildly comfortable making your running efforts of all shapes and sizes feel surprisingly effortless. They provide unbelievable cushion and comfort. So even your toughest runs are easier on your body. I noticed from step one, when I put these on, they just felt great. And that's thanks to the swift foam midsole. It's lightweight and big on cushion and energy return. I recommend these shoes because I wear these shoes. I have the orange ones. Plus, they have loads of other great stuff, too. And they're hooking you up with a free pair of Allbirds socks on your next order of 50 bucks or more. Just use the promo code PICKUPTHESOCKS. Pretty good, right? Pick up the socks at allbirds.com on your next order of 50 or more, and you're getting a free pair of socks from those guys. Lace up the tree flyer and get running today at allbirds.com. That's allbirds.com. My guest today wants to help you elevate your leadership. His name is Robert Pizzini, and he's the CEO of iFly Virginia Beach, an indoor skydiving facility. He's also a 26-year Navy veteran and master explosive ordnance disposal technician with multiple deployments and a bronze star. We have a great conversation, so let's get into it with Robert Pizzini. Ryan Jodis back once again for another episode of Pick Up the Six podcast before I bring in Bob Pizzini. Uh, I just got to give a shout out to my friends at Laser Llama. I'm rocking a new Pick Up the Six lid here. It's like a dark camo. It's kind of hard to tell on camera. And then this faux wood. These guys freaking rock, man. They take care of all of our hat stuff. It's laser-llama.com. And this is an unpaid plug. I just I threw this hat on before coming in the studio. You guys see I'm often wearing these. They fit great. Their customer service is awesome. They just always take care of us. Uh, and we've used these hats as sort of a thank you gift for a lot of our clients and friends. Uh, but we might start selling them too uh, at pickupthesix.com. So if you're interested in that, let me know. But also just want to give a shout out, Laser Llama. Love you guys. Love what you're doing. Great company. They care a lot about veterans and first responders too. So just love what they're doing and, and thought I'd give them a, a little shout out before we get going. So let me bring up my friend, Bob. Man, my brother, how are you? Good to see you. I'm doing good, Brian. How are you? It is it's super exciting to do this. I'm great, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I'm better than I deserve on a day like today. It's yeah, super exciting you. to do this because I sat in your office just a couple of weeks ago. I was in Virginia Beach for a big F3 training event, right? An overnight grow ruck. You guys have heard me talk about it. We uh, spent, I don't know, 16 hours under rucksacks and logs and weight and you know got in the surf and just did a bunch of hard stuff throughout the course of the night, uh, what I call sort of, you know, playing tough guy for an evening, uh, but also got to instill a lot of really cool leadership principles into the hearts of the 32 men who completed this training exercise. And we're going to talk a lot about leadership today. So it was cool to meet you then, man. Marty Strong got us connected. He's like, you got to go over and see Bob, see what he's doing at iFly. And I think you guys will hit it off. And we're like, we got to get on the air as soon as possible. And so here we are. Super cool. Yeah. Marty's awesome. And I, I can't thank him enough for connecting us. Yeah. He, he's a, he's a connector, right? Like I just get yeah, the feeling sure. <laughs> meeting him. I've only known him for a certain amount of time. We had him on the show, had a great conversation. Awesome. Uh, former Navy SEAL did some cool stuff on behalf of our country, but he said, every time I've asked him, oh, let me get you connected here. Let me help with this. We had lunch. It's when he brought up your name. He said, he's right down the road. Go check him out. I'm like, well, I got time. 
while I'm here. And so here we are. <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah, man. How are things with you? Things are awesome, man. You know, I have a I have the disease of entrepreneurialism, I think is what it's called. <laughs> yeah. So I've got my hands in way too many things. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, that's just uh, kind of the way things have been with me my entire adult life. I wouldn't have it any other way. And, you know, you don't win them all, but um, uh, you sure go after the ones you think uh, uh, have merit for a variety of reasons. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Bob's also the host of Elevate Your Leadership podcast and it's just a big part of what he does you're sitting in the iFly Virginia Beach offices you're going to tell us what that is in a little bit and I got to see it with my own two eyes next time I come up there we're going in the tunnel right <laughs> to get some wind underneath us but you've also got a pretty incredible career man 26 years in the navy got to blow up stuff and help people from not getting blown up as an EOD guy so just tell us a little bit about that experience and what 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 drew you into that that naval path. Everybody's got different ways in which they get there. So how'd that happen for you? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I was of the era, I grew up watching the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau mm. and um, you know, first it was in black and white and then it was in Technicolor. And uh, so I wanted to be a scuba diver at like the age of 12. So I went and got certified to be a scuba diver. And then uh, I be, I went to civilian commercial dive school, if you will. And when I graduated uh, high school, my plan was to go work in the oil fields off the Gulf of Mexico or something like that. In the meantime, I ran across these these fellows called Navy divers or former Navy divers. They were being treated really well. Um, going back to my high school days, I read a book in the library of our high school titled Navy Diver. Mm. And so that was always rolling around in the back of my mind. And, and um, then one day it just all came together. My buddy's friend went to boot camp. Navy boot camp. He came home, you know, looking sharp in his uniform and he presented well and had his confidence. And I, I, I thought I, I need the Navy. The Navy doesn't necessarily need me, but I need the Navy. And, mm. uh, and so my career ambition at that point was to be a Navy diver. Fast forward a few years, Navy diving led to Navy EOD, explosive ordnance disposal. And that wound up being the uh, vast majority of my 26 year career. That's cool, man. Multiple deployments, a bronze star recipient, our friend, John Richards, uh, I don't know if you know him at all from One Nation Coffee. He's been uh, in the Navy almost 20. So you guys, I don't know if your paths over across at all. You've got some. They haven't. I've heard the name. I'm familiar. You know, I know of, but I haven't met him personally. Yeah. Good dude. Mission driven with what they're doing with the coffee company. They give back a ton. Absolutely love what they're doing. You guys should try to link up at some point. In fact, we can make that happen here for sure. But tell love, our listeners, man, if they're like, all right, so what is a explosive ordinance disposal guy or gal? What are you doing? Are, are you wearing that? That cool bomb suit we've seen, right? Like, what's a day on the job like? Yeah. So um, much like in SEAL teams or other special operations teams, we all go to our basic training. So Navy EOD school starts out, you start out with dive school in Panama City, Florida. Then you go to um, EOD basic at Eglin Air Force Base. When I went, uh, I went to what we called phase one at Eglin, and then the rest of it was up in Indian Head, Maryland. But you learn all different types of ordnance, fusing, firing, functioning, safety hazards, how they're employed, and you learn to recognize those things, and then you know how to disable um, all these various explosive devices. So the the general category of explosive devices, or the broad categories, I should say, are, are chemical, radiological, biological, conventional, and then uh, something they call... Um, uh, weapon of mass destruction mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, a really, really high amount of conventional explosives like we saw at the 
bombing in Beirut, Lebanon. I believe it was 93 um, mm -hmm. at the barracks there. So, so Navy EOD technicians, we conduct all those missions to, to search, locate, identify, and disable, or what we call RSP, render safe these different explosive devices. Uh, all services have EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technicians. Navy EOD are considered special operating forces in that we operate underwater, on land and in the air, or we deploy from aircraft. We parachute, we repel, we fast rope, we dive a really cool advanced, uh, it's called UBA underwater breathing apparatus. It recirculates so it doesn't have any bubbles. Mm. It has a very low magnetic signature. So underwater ordnance can be fired by magnetic signature, by sound, by vibration, by a variety of things. So we, we dive a really advanced uh, diving rig called the Mark 16 to enable us to uh, locate and, and attack underwater ordnance as well. Dude, you're like underwater ninjas. Yeah. So, uh, I, like you know, again, the, the underwater realm, the Navy yeah. owns the, the U S Navy owns the underwater realm in a variety of mm. ways. And uh, it's so cool and, and such a privilege to be a part of that. Were you exclusively working along other special operating teams or do you, do you guys like, are, so you all, are you always with SEALs? Are you with other facets of the Navy? Are you crossing over and serving with other branches? Yeah. So we call maybe it on we, some of those deployments. For sure. So we call it force multiplying. So Navy EOD is a force multiplier in that we work with everybody. So my war zone deployment, for example, my Iraq, my Iraqi deployment, I was assigned to an army ODA or operational detachment mm -hmm. alpha, right? An army special forces team. Prior to that, when I was uh, the officer in charge of a counterterrorism team based out of Guam, I was also assigned to a counterterrorism army ODA out of Japan. Uh, however, um, and then I, I've done a lot of missions with SEAL teams, but more specifically, other EOD detachments are assigned to SEAL teams for up to a year. They do a, a workup cycle, then a deployment cycle, and, and that can take quite long. Uh, but then EOD teams are autonomous onto themselves. We have mine countermeasures teams, which was, that was my first attachment. Mm. Uh, I was assigned to a mine countermeasure team. So we search for, locate, identify, and disable underwater mines using that diving apparatus I was telling you about. So my first tour, I was stationed in Italy. We dived all over Eastern, Western, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Asia, you know, the, uh, the Dardanelles. The Sea of Mar, 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 Marmosa, Marmama, I can't even remember what it's called. And, um, uh, you know, the, the Utland up in, up in the Denmark area and, and just all over the place. So, uh, and then EOD teams also ride uh, aircraft carriers uh, as a deployment and EOD teams also de deploy on um, ESGs, expeditionary strike groups. So you got carrier strike groups and that's expeditionary strike groups. But what that means is that EOD team is, on deployment with that vessel, but EOD teams deploy from that vessel to different parts of the world to um, to do the mission. Bad guy underwater mines. What are they targeting? Right. What are you what are you saving by taking those things out? So uh, I would say generically and probably most recognizably, you know, the mine, the floating mine with the horns that you see in various media. Uh, those are designed to sink ships mm -hmm. and you have floating mines, you have moored mines, you have mines that lay on the bottom, anchored mines. There's a there's a variety of sea mines that are really designed to take out ships, but they could also be designed to clog a channel, uh, the Suez Canal, for example, mm. that you could disable a ship and not even sink it in different parts of the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal. 
And now you've disrupted shipping um, or potential military movements. So mines uh, in, in, the, in the maritime environment are used uh, for a variety of reasons um, along, along those lines. It could be to just disable the running gear. You could just take out the propeller and the rudder on a vessel, and now that vessel stuck pier side, it's just no longer usable. Uh, those are just some examples. Uh, again, you could you could uh, use underwater mines to destroy bridges and and other roadways. It's it's just uh, whatever the intent of the of whatever the strategic intent of uh, of that nation mm-hmm. state, or in many cases, um, you know, non nation state actors, terrorist terrorist organizations, or other other non nation state bad guys that um, that are trying to create problems. Did you see Top Gun Maverick? Oh yeah, absolutely. What'd you think? <laughs> oh, Navy I love guys got to love it, right? Yeah. Oh, it was. A, I loved it absolutely. You know, I have a former Blue Angel as a neighbor. Um, shout out to you, Maddie, and um, and uh, you know, I'm all things Navy, and I just thought yeah. it was an incredible movie. Can you, um, guys? Bob's got this amazing studio. Uh, his podcast again is Elevate Your Leadership. Can you show us some of the? You got so much cool stuff in there. Yeah, I don't know if my cameras camera are set up to see it. So, oh, they're showing, they're they're pointing more on you than the cool guy stuff. Yeah, I got them all. Yeah, I was sort of in awe so when I was in there. Let me. Uh, that there one, you go. So, there we go. That's good. You can see some of the kid up there. Yeah, there's some 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 stuff there, and then nice. uh, that captures some. I got it all hanging up high, and I, I'm actually working on that to get more of that yeah, stuff in the camera. Thanks view. for thanks for doing that for me. Let me have a little bit of fun. Sure. <laughs> with it as well. You talked Thank before you. about being a uh, no problem. Uh, you know, sort of having the disease of entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurial disease. Yeah. Did, did you notice that right throughout your Navy career? When did you start thinking about, okay, look, this run isn't forever. At some point, this part of my life comes to an end. And what I've sort of talked about with a lot of veterans is sort of 2.0, what the, what the next phase looks like. What do you want to do for the next 20? So when did you see some of that, right? Some of that sickness, I suppose, if you've got yeah, disease, yeah. Right, come into play. <laughs> So I, I think part of being a Navy EOD technician, you know, we are taught to get the mission done, make it, make do with whatever you have. Mm. Um, sometimes we have everything we need. Most of the times we don't have everything we need, but that's what you got and you, and you have to get it done. So uh, that's part of Navy EOD basic training, if you will. And then it's reinforced throughout the EOD tech's career. So throughout my career, um, we would go on, projects or deployments or missions. And oftentimes what we discovered we had was not what we thought we had and we were underprepared in some capacity. But uh, as a team, and we always operate as a team, even even if we break it down to a two-man element, we always operate as a team. As a team, it's amazing how we go through a process of problem solving, sometimes very quickly, sometimes Mm -hmm. under fire, and really accomplish the objective. So so my career in Navy EOD taught me to um, question just about everything. Mm-hmm. It taught me to be flexible and adaptable. And and regardless of the task, there's a way to do it. And towards the end of my career, I was looking at some some business things that I thought I might be interested in. And pro- the, you know the my diagnosis of the entrepreneurial disorder. It, it it probably came officially about three or four years after I was out and, you know, I'm running in all these different directions and I'm like, all right, what am I doing here? Right. And I've got to harness this. And um, so, so it, it developed throughout my career. And I think most Navy EOD technicians in particular, I, you know, I know 
uh, so many of my of my teammates um, are out and operating great businesses, and you know that. I mean, yeah. um, you know, develops I, it, and beyond EOD, I think something like that develops in the special operations realm. You just learn to make stuff happen, and um, so so that was the genesis of it. Yeah, that's incredible, and I think you're right. I mean, there there's something to being thrust into those those incredible scenarios and having to sort of make do. But I also think there's a lot of credit to, and you and I talked about this when we sat in your office a few weeks ago. And one of the things, and it's not apples to apples, don't get me wrong. But one of the things we try to instill in that weekend through that Grow Ruck experience is we're going to put the guys in the classroom for about three hours. We're going to hammer them with a bunch of leadership stuff, which is kind of head knowledge, right? But ultimately you've got yeah. to convert that into heart knowledge, which is is action which is being able to call on it during moments of high stress and low viz. What are you going to do with the things that you've learned to be able to react and make sometimes those split decisions and something about that team, man, I just, I, I can't do it on my own. I just know every time I try to do it on my own, rarely does it work out. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a saying that uh, if you want to go, if you want to go fast to go alone, if you want to go far, you go with a team or a yeah. group. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love it. I know you've instilled a lot of that with your team there. All right. What brings us to iFly Virginia Beach, right? How does that happen? Because then through that, you've really launched out an incredible leadership training product, the way in which you manage your team, the way in which you communicate about. It. So just tell me a little bit about that story. Sure. So when I retired in 2010, I went to work for a company called R3 Strategic Support Group. I actually helped put the company together. A very good friend of mine uh, was in the ownership structure, and this is somebody that I have known for 25 years of my military career. We still remain good friends. And and when he said, Bob, I want to put this together and I want you to be, you know, one of the kind of key, the key person on the East Coast. I was like, Mark, I'll work for Mm -hmm. you any anytime, any day. And so I worked for that company for five years, helped helped start it and grow it. But at the same time, um, my last assignment, my last active duty assignment in the military was uh, I was responsible for sustainment and advanced training for all the East Coast Navy EOD technicians for all things diving and all things airborne. So in the airborne realm, we would go to wind tunnels, vertical wind tunnels kind of is generically what they're called. Mm -hmm. We would go to these vertical wind tunnels in different parts of the country and we would do our training. And we would see every other operational unit from Virginia Beach at these other locations, Florida, uh, Arizona, and everyone's out there doing their training. And while we were there, we would see the, the business model. Not only, not only did I know the size of the check that I was writing and mm-hmm. to, the, to the organization yeah, no kidding. And, and the other uh, uh, operational units were writing, but we would see the birthday parties and mom, dad, and the kids, the family packages, and the 18-year-olds on a date and the corporate events. You know, we saw the full business model at these other locations. And Virginia Beach is a tourist destination. Yeah. And with a we would huge always, military presence. With it with the largest concentration of of Navy special operations. Wow. Um, you know, yeah. in the world. So you're like, why so the heck we don't would, we have this here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we yeah. would always come back to Virginia Beach, whether we're driving back or flying back. And the whole team is always talking about, oh, man, why isn't there one here? And I would love to do that. And there was all this rumor and innuendo about, oh, I heard, you know, the deputy commander of Damneck, which is a, a key installation here, uh, bought the rights to the territory and nobody can do it. And then somebody else would say, well, I heard somebody tried to do it and the city said, no, it's too loud. So there was all this kind of rumor and incorrect information that was that was floating around out there. 
So one day when it was obvious, two things dawned on me um, just before I retired. One is this would be a great business for Virginia Beach, particularly if it was at the oceanfront. And the second thing was somebody's going to do this eventually. It's going to happen. And it might as well be me. I am well positioned based on my military experience and my education and some of the other things I've done in my background. I'm well positioned to be the person to get this done. And so that gets to kind of the disease, right? So once once I plant that seed in my head, that's the thing that that I started losing sleep over. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to, and then there's a race. Then, then there's competition. And then, you know, I'm working with the manufacturer of the equipment and they go, hey, we're not trying to put pressure on you, which they were. We're not trying to put pressure on you, but we just want you to know that, the you know, there's there's one or two other groups that are, look like they're pretty serious about this. And, you know, so you need to get your ducks in a row and get this thing done. So, um, so just to kind of, you know, put a quick ending to that story. Mm -hmm. Um, I got serious about it and I was able to put together a business plan. I was able to, first of all, learn how to spell the word business because in the military EOD, we do a lot of cool stuff, but balance sheets and profit Mm -hmm. and loss statements and cash flow statements are not part of, you know, unless you're a a logistics or supply officer or something like that. So, um, so I had to give myself a mini business education. I had to write a business plan. And then I decided to make a less, a list of 10 potential investors and start meeting them one-on-one. Now I'm summarizing about two years of activity. Yeah. And um, so I went to the first investor uh, who said no. Second investor said no, the, the potential investor, I should say. And the third one said, we're interested. Uh, why don't you look these things up, get some, get the answers to the following questions and come back and see us. That process went on for a year. Mm. And um, and then, you know, at, at one point I walked back in their boardroom for a meeting and there were a few other key people there that didn't attend the regular meetings. And they said, where are we going to put this thing? Let's get it done. And uh, so super, super stoked about that. But, but again, kind of the foundation, I knew that the foundation of this business plan was going to be military training. And then if we put it in the right place, we have great tourism here for a pretty significant part of the year. And then we have a local population with disposable income. You know, government is kind of the, the primary uh, economic driver in this area. So, uh, so I, I just thought it was a safe proposition overall. And, um, here we are eight years later. It's really cool. And you talked about that sort of oceanfront property. (laughs) They've got a massive boardroom at the top of the building that has an incredible view and it's set up to do those things. It's set up for the birthday parties and the casual person that walks in and wants to do it, but yet they're also training the elite, right? Some of the best in the world to do what they've got to be able to do in there. And I got a chance to witness some of their leaders in there putting people through some of the paces was really pretty incredible. What, what's your job there, right? Like what's your title there? What's your job there? So, well, my, you know, titles. So I have, I, I guess the longer your title is, the less important you are, the shorter your title is, the more important you are I've heard. But yeah. anyway, so, so within the partnership, the business structure, I'm the managing partner and then chief executive officer. So I'm the managing partner of, of the business entity and, mm-hmm. and my partner who's, who's not active in, in running this business, but then I'm the chief executive officer uh, for I fly Virginia beach indoor skydiving. Um, and, and so what is my job? Well, CEOs uh, with the way I chose to uh, handle my time and, and represent this organization as the chief executive is number one, make sure that 
all 40 of my teammates have everything they need to do their job. Do we have enough people on the team? Are they properly trained? And do, do they have everything they need equipment wise to, to provide an absolute first class, ex, first class experience to everybody who comes through our doors. Now I don't deliver the, we call it delivering the dream of flight or mm -hmm. what we call it, bringing people together through the dream of flight. Yeah. Uh, now I'm a, I'm a certified instructor, but um, if you want to have the best experience possible, I'm not your guy, right? We have great instructors who do it every single day. And um, so my job is to make sure that they are properly enabled to do what it is they do. And, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, my first job as CEO was this job, right? Just yeah. happens to be my business. So you learn as you go. Um, and, and good EOD technicians, or I should say all Navy EOD technicians, one thing we're good at is learning on the fly mm. and taking a piece of information and analyzing it quickly and turning it into something useful and valuable. So, um, so as I evolve as the chief executive of, of this organization, you know, the first year or two, I had to spend a lot of time inside the organization um, and I was much more hands on. But uh, I, I always wanted to evolve from that because my job really is to spend more time outside of this organization, outside the walls of this building, representing the organization and representing the people on this team. And uh, so luckily, because I have such a great team, I have the opportunity to be involved in many other things in our great city. And um, as a result of that, uh, this business has a great reputation. My team has a great reputation and we are able to give back in meaningful ways uh, to, to people within our city. You'll get this because I know this is the kind of guy you are and how you're wired. All right. So that's your job, right? You're the CEO. What do you actually do? Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I developed Elevate Your Leadership. You know, I thought, mm -hmm. oh, this would be cool. You know, another yeah. one of those entrepreneurial um, cravings, if you will, you know. Um, but um, so what I do, that's a, that's a really good question because- well, like what, what's, what, what's, what's Bob's purpose, right? And Because I know there's more to, you're not just running this company, right? Oh, not, not I, I mean, my general guy. manager and my management team run this company. Right, so. right. Yeah, yeah, they run it. And uh, so what I do really, I, I kind of, I think that really goes back to my personal definition mm. of leadership yep. and my personal definition, the, the short version is two words, enabling others. So I coach high school hockey. So everyone, every kid on that high school team is a better hockey player than I am. So I'm not out there showing them, you know, the, the, uh, the finite technique of what it is they need to do. I'm out there you getting them. You don't have them to suit up every now and then and just bring them down a peg or two. <laughs> well, I used to when they were like mites and squirts and peewees, right? But but now most of them are taller than me, faster right? than me. Yeah. yeah but, uh, but my job, just like, just like Tiger Woods has a golf coach, right? My job is to bring out what's already in people and, and, and develop them and make them better at what it is they do. Mm. Now, that's at home with my 18-year-old twin son and daughter. That's on the ice with my hockey team. That's certainly within the 40 or so people on my team. But it's also uh, through the Chamber of Commerce. I'm very active with the local Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce mission is to create conditions for businesses to thrive. Mm. And, you know, they asked me to lead efforts in different capacities. So I, I, I donate a lot of time to the Chamber of Commerce, the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce, very large chamber, by the way, 
uh, you know, comparatively um, across the U.S. But I spend a lot of time with the chamber because not only does my business thrive, but so does the business community. And the more the business community thrives, um, the more the more my business thrives. And, and the other part of what I do is uh, part of my offering and elevate your leadership is I'm I'm a firm believer in lifelong learning, physical fitness, and lifelong learning. So I spend a lot of time attending courses or lectures or other things, reading books, you know, Marty, Marty Strong, he wrote Mm -hmm. two awesome books that I know you're familiar with. So, so I spend time hanging out with guys like Marty, you know, people who are going to make me uh, better, stronger, faster, smarter. Yeah. Grabbing from their buckets of experience and knowledge and dumping a little bit into your own. Yeah, exactly. uh, And that's a big piece. What's, what's mission, what's missing uh, in ways of leadership today, what are you seeing out there? Right, what, what are leaders missing yeah. on? Yeah, um, so uh, you know, surprisingly, they're missing out. They're missing a lot of things. And again, this is based on my 11, 12 years now mm-hmm. since I retired. But in the military, the leadership model is: uh, it, by the time you're 23 or 24 years old in the military, you're on your second or third leadership assignment, and you've been to to probably two or three developmental leadership developmental academies based on your rank, right? To prepare you for the next rank. So the military is very deliberate in preparing people for, um, for higher levels of leadership. At the same time, the military expects that you will fail in your quest to become a better leader. And when that happens, rather than give you a kick between the legs and say you're fired, they pick you up, they dust you off, they might give you a, a little a little tap somewhere here or there. Mm-hmm. And then they say, now get out there and do it again, right? And don't worry because I'm right behind you. I have your back. My friend, Dr. Mary, uh, Dr. Gary McGrath, talks, uh, who's a, uh, who was in the Army, he talks about I, this I have your back leadership. Mm. And that's, that's really the model of the military, or, or at least that was my experience. And um, because of that, what what I personally adopted is, as a leader, you have to expect 100% from those you lead. Anything less than 100%, you know, well, we'll do what the boss says 50% of the time, 75% of the time. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, you have to require 100%. Um, as somebody who's being led, you owe your boss 100%. If you're going to be short of 100%, you better have a discussion with somebody mm-hmm. and explain why. Uh, but but the bottom line is you owe your leader 100%. And but, but the most important thing is people will fail. People yeah. will come up short of 100%. Yeah. And when they do, if they own it, and if they're bought into the mission, that's where we pick you up, dust you off, and send you back out there again. And the private sector, leaders don't, give people second chances so much. It's very critical. It's very strict. They don't deal with yeah. the the emotion of the person. You know, people have lives. They have we have wives, we have sons, we have daughters, we have parents who die. We have death in the family. We have we have all these things that might be on our mind when we should be at work and working. And as a leader, you can't say to somebody, well, that's not my problem. It is your problem. If that person is distracted from giving you their very best, that is your problem, and you mm. have to address that as a leader. Um, and and so that so that I I just think in the private sector, especially in small to mid sized businesses, I think that's what's missing. And, and and 
you know, a summary of everything I just described is trust. You know, mm. if all those components are there, if I know that I'm going to try this and if I fall on my face, my boss is going to say, all right, get up. What can I do to help you uh, do that again and, and do better and succeed? I'm going to go for it. Yeah. But if I think that if I go for it and I don't, I don't get it right, my boss is going to fire me, then I'm not going to go for it. And, and so uh, my, my management team, for example, I have, s- I have six people on the management team. We've all been together for eight plus years, two, mm-hmm. two of them about five plus years, but the rest of us, we've been together for eight plus years. The trust that we have developed and the ability to operate together, um, the ability to help each other with or without somebody requesting help, you know, you, you just recognize areas where you can be a great teammate. Yep. That's what develops when when leaders pay attention to the right things. And that's that's where we're at. And that's what I think is, you know, I consult and mm-hmm. I coach and I speak and I hear the same thing from company to company to company. This person's been here for 15 years or 20 years. Um, they're, uh, they're what I call a, um, a, uh, um, oh, shoot, you, you have, uh, you have settlers, mm-hmm. migrators and pioneers, right? Mm-hmm. So you have these settlers, nine to fivers, just punching the clock. And to be honest, some organizations, they need those settlers. But as a leader, you can drive somebody to be a settler or you can drive them to be a pioneer. And you have to understand that that's your responsibility. Yeah. So um, I'll take a pause there, man. Yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. Long no, dude, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. And, and check this out. I think it a lot of it revolves around creating a culture wherein we're not telling you or recommending you, you bring the standard down. What we're saying is by upholding the standard, you got to create a culture where when someone says, boss, I failed. You say, that's freaking awesome. Now, what do we do? Yeah, right? exactly. Not by, not by weakening the standard, but by embracing a culture wherein the failure can be used as a data point to course correct because you trust each other. There's got to be trust in, inside a leadership team, a shared leadership team at that as well. Trust critical because without trust, you can't fail forward and you can't have opportunities for candor. Candor speaking hard truth with love. Right. And trust is an exactly, component exactly. Of that. My, my and it wasn't dad, always that way. Yeah. It wasn't always that way. And, and in a lot of boardrooms, it's likely not. Yeah, exactly. People are scared it's, shitless. They're going to make a mistake. They're going to get fired. Yeah, th- that's exactly right. And, and, and again, that's what I experience in, in a lot of my consulting work. And, um, and, and I've actually, uh, turned down in one case specifically after I, got to know the organization. I thought to myself, I'm not your guy. Yeah. There's uh there's there's some roadblocks here in within the leadership that um clearly I'm not going to be able to change or impact. So so you know thank you, but um I'm I'm just not your guy. Yeah. And look, it, it's not always easy work, right? Leadership uh is not easy work. It's why my good friend Frank Schwartz of the Unlock Leader says uh, if it were easy we wouldn't need leaders. You, yeah, you need exactly. We'll step and, into that. That's one of the things I always say about leadership. Leadership is not complex. It's not like algebra or, mm-hmm. you know, quantum physics or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it's not easy either. Right. You know, right. you have to be willing to have the tough discussion with somebody. You have to be willing to, you know, I visited um, an employee in jail. I visited an employee in the hospital. Uh, obviously, we've hired and we've fired. And you have to be willing to do all of that. Um, mm-hmm. That that stuff's not easy, um, but but it's not. Com- it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, you know, my father, uh, the greatest leader I've ever known, 
uh, incredible career. It's been well documented on these airwaves, just all the things that he's done on behalf of our great nation. And to your point, the complexity is he he puts leadership in three things. You got to do these three things. Provide vision, uphold the standard, make hard decisions. Now, there's sure. a lot of hard stuff in those three things. But the complexity of that, and if you're a leader, you say, I just need, I feel like I need something to sort of put some framework around me, put some guardrails around my leadership. You know, what can I be about? Okay, cool. Provide vision, uphold the standard, which means you have to as well. Yeah, right. Yourself, and make hard decisions. If, work around those three. Yeah. Get yeah. going. You know, and let's just take a look at make hard decisions, right? So, so leaders make decisions all day long. Yeah. Um and constantly in a state of decision making. And, and Jeff Bezos, for example, I believe he was quoted somewhere as saying, I don't make a lot of decisions on a daily basis, but the the the, the decisions I do make affect millions of people. Mm, or millions. To, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. or millions of dollars. So he has to be very deliberate in his decision making. And you know, minus the the Bezos empire, any leader should be equally mm -hmm. as deliberate in their mm -hmm. decision making. And um, oftentimes as leaders, we we want every piece of information we can get to guide us in the decision, you know, in making the right decision. But oftentimes we don't have everything we need, but we still, at some point you have to go, you mm -hmm. have to get off the X, you have to say, man, I wish I had more info, but this, this situation has become urgent yeah. and it's time for me to, to uh, pick a cardinal direction and get the team moving. And leaders who are um, repeatedly indecisive, you you hold up the rest of your team, and that's you're going to lose trust and confidence in that situation. So, so just to your dad's point of making hard decisions, there's a lot to that. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Bob, before we go, man, uh, just love it. Tell folks a little bit more about the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. We get a sense as to what kind of conversations you're having there, but just tell us a little bit what's happening over there. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, le leadership, we all are um, a, 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 a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We are our memories. Mm. We are who we've interacted with. Yeah, we're like we a all sponge, become, man. We're yeah, like a exactly. And, and, um, so the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is all about talking to leaders who have valuable information to share. And of my 31 or 32 episodes, I promise there's value in every single one of those oh, episodes. Yep. And it just depends, you know, where you find the value. But I, I guarantee there's something there for everybody. And the reason I say that is because every time I've done an episode, there's been value to me. I've had aha moments with everybody mm -hmm. that I've had discussions with on my podcast. But real quick, um, about three or four years ago, I was looking for leadership de development for the people, everybody on my management team and everybody else. And we did some of the traditional stuff that's out there and it was good, but it wasn't what I was looking for. It wasn't scratching the itch. It wasn't that I have your back, mm. go fail, and I'm going to be there for you. Or here's the other thing. Leaders are going to come up short at times as well. And you need your team to be there for you. Yeah. And that is critical. And, um, uh, so, you know, leadership is a push-pull, if you will. So I developed uh, this offering called Elevate Your Leadership. It's about eight hours of facilitated discussion, originally designed to happen here uh, at the beautiful facility of iFly Virginia Beach. And the flight experience, which is kind of a metaphor for teamwork mm -hmm. and and um, kind of expanding your comfort zone, facing your fear, 
uh, the flight experience was originally part of the program that we put together and then COVID hit. So I had to transition to uh, an online seminar, which actually turned out to be quite, quite successful. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoyed doing the online seminars as well. I have free webinars, online seminars, all of that turned into a book, which is at the publisher right now. The nice. book titled, guess what? Elevate Your Leadership. leadership. Nailed it. Um, that'll be out before Christmas. Beautiful. Um, yeah, available on Amazon. So, uh, so you know, it's just a lot of fun stuff going on. And uh, I have a great team. And I can't emphasize how important it is to have a great mm -hmm. team. Uh, again, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, have a great team. RobertPazzini.com. Yep. It's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Or if you just Google I fly Virginia beach, uh, you can track me down that way. Just Google Robert Pizzini or Bob Pizzini. And uh, my SEO is pretty good. You know, people yep. will be able to find me and I'll be, ha I answer my own phone. So I'll be happy to uh, chat with anybody. <laughs> I love it, man, brother. It's great to catch up, man. Good to see you again this way. Next time I'm in the area, we'll get in the, uh, in the tunnel. We'll have yeah. some fun that way. And let's get I already tried sure, to recruit man. him out to some F3 workouts. He said, man, I, I did plenty of, I, they were making me get up. It's been fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, Brian, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Listen, anytime I get a chance to have a Pizzini on the show, <laughs> I was like, we got to do it. We'll make Pretty it good. You must have some Sicilian in you. Yeah. We got a little bit in there for sure. All right, my brothers. Good to talk to you. All right. See you. He's Bob Pizzini. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.